Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. We're talking how to be a leader and how to take care of these millennial brains. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz What up, teddies? And welcome to AfterBuzz TV's Talking TED Talks. We're back together in studio. I'm your boy, DJ Jesse Jake. And I'm Yasmin Tanres. Hey, it and- is great to be back, isn't it? Hey, okay. We missed you. You know, we had some people up on the panel. We was doing the talking. We're always going to make sure that we can feed you guys content. You know, but sometimes life gets a little tricky. But yes. we're here to yes. break down some TED talks. Exactly. So tonight we have uh, we're going to be talking about stop managing and start leading, and we have a very special guest. On Skype with us, Yasmin. Mm-hmm. So Hamza Khan is the one that broke down, well, talked about this TED Talk, uh, Stop Managing and Start Leading. And he's a multi-award winning marketer and entrepreneur. He is the managing director of Student Life Network, which helps empower students across the country. He co-founded Splash Effect, which is a boutique agency, uh, boutique marketing and creative agency, as well as um, co-founded Skills Camp, which you might recognize from our first Talking TED Talks with Bailey Parnell. Hey. Yeah, so this is a soft skills training company which educates people on how to manage stress and um, emotional intelligence, personal branding, so all the life skills that you don't really learn in school or in any other way. So very much for the professional sphere as well as the personal. And he's an author of Amazon's best-selling book, The Burnout Gamble, which he also made a TED Talk, really fascinating, which hopefully we'll be able to break down on another episode of Talking TED Talks and get Hamza Khan back in. (laughs) Yes. But that's when he's going to come in studio for that one. Yeah, he better come in from Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so he really empowers people and businesses um, with ideas into action. So creating ideas into action. And that goes seamlessly with his podcast, which is also called Ideas Into Action. And every episode breaks down a high, highly powered person just to see as to what their mindset is, their habits, how they time manage themselves with their energy, like where is their focus at. And ultimately, it comes to a conclusion as to um, what, how are you going to be successful? How can you thrive within difficult circumstances? And when you're opening up new life chapters within yeah your life <laughs> in, with it's such relatability too that yes. was my favorite part about a lot of you know his his talks is that i felt like oh my god here's someone i could actually sit down and they could explain to me what the hell i've been going through mentally because he's been through yes and he's not talking down but yes, talking with exactly so that's awesome which segues right on into tonight's TED Talk. Exactly. He does, you know, he does He does so much work. I feel like, I mean, he's an incredible person. I just wonder how he does it all. He also teaches online courses um, on Skillshare.com yep. so check that out. There's a dozens of courses that you can just sign up to and uh, go online and he teaches on there and at university. So very impressive and we're glad to actually be able to bring him in kind of into the studio through our Skype. Well, let's find out right now. Hamza, you on the line? 
Hey, yes, 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 I'm here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, honestly, like, it just makes it so much, it's like the cherry on top when we can actually have the speaker call in and really dig into, you know, what we watch. It's why we started the show, honestly, because these TED Talks, it's, you know, a lot of people, for me personally, I thought it was mostly about technology. When I started learning and started watching them, I was like, holy crap, like, why are we not breaking these down and, you know, going further with these conversations? I want to talk to him. Exactly. I want him to explain this to me. This is really special. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm sad that I couldn't be in the studio with you all, but maybe for the next go-around when we yes. do the burnout gamble, I'll definitely take the flight out there. I, yes. We would love that. So tell so us... So cool what you're doing, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a kid, what was your mindset as far as getting to that, that spot where you were working that job? job and you were doing what the boss thought was minimal work what did you want to be growing up and that's a great question my mind was all over the place my mom jokes that when I was younger I would come home from kindergarten I would come home from my elementary school with different dreams of what I wanted to be all the time I would think that I wanted to be an astronaut I would think that I wanted to be a farmer so on and so forth and um what was really cool different things okay (laughs) Very grounded. Very. <laughs> and then up in the air. Right. No matter what I do, I wanted to apply myself 100%. I wanted to just... Oh, Hamza? Oh, we had such a good connection right I there. I know. Oh, oh. Hello? Slight connection interruption there. All right, maybe we can... Hey, are you still here? Now we can. There we are. Yes, you're back. Are you? Are you back? Awesome. I'm so sorry about that. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Okay, sorry about that. I'll dive right back into this. Go ahead. So um, when you asked about my, my upbringing, Jesse, my upbringing really prioritized hard work, and hard work was supposed to be the path to success. And so whenever I found myself at any job, regardless of what I was doing, whether I was working at a convenience store or a health food store or my first startup. I mean, it was just hard work, hard work, hard work. And then I found myself in a really difficult situation where I started to check out emotionally from a job that I was in because I felt like I was being mismanaged. I felt like my talents weren't being unleashed and unlocked by my what I thought to be a leader at the time, but just turned out to be a very traditional, almost um, too traditional manager that practiced what I've since learned to be the theory X approach of management, which just assumed that I was lazy, entitled, unmotivated, and that I needed to be managed in a very traditional way that I think factory workers were managed. Now, did were your what was your influence from your parents as far as like what did they do for work and how did that kind of install for you? Because for me, I talked about last week. I come from an immigrant mindset family, mm-hmm. so it's very come over here. We need to work hard and you know start from the ground up and rebuild and. Uh, you were so relatable in your conversation because I could never connect. Like, why does this nine to five not fit me? Why do I, I mentally fight it, you know? And I would, I would get mad at someone trying to force me into that box. Mm-hmm. Did, what did your, how did your parents kind of guide you uh, growing up when it comes to like that worth work ethic? Yeah, Jesse, brother, thank you for asking that question. That's a really good question. And I think it's a question that um, isn't asked enough. Like, what role does the immigrant work ethic play in especially what we're seeing with a lot of millennials right now? The the common assumption is that millennials are lazy, they're privileged, they don't want to work. But studies have shown time and again that that's far from the truth. Me in particular, I had 
what I think is courtside seats to the immigrant hustle. I saw my parents <laughs> uproot their entire lives. They came from India. I mean, I didn't get to see that part of the story, but I got to see the moment from when they started setting roots in New York, actually, where I was born and raised. And um, what was really cool to me was to to get that through the process of osmosis, to get that sort of work ethic, that hustle, uh, and apply that to no matter what role I was in. And so uh, you can just imagine how disappointed I was when I reached what I felt like was a roadblock in my career, where I just couldn't apply myself the way that I wanted to, because that's all I knew. Uh, and I actually enjoy that. I derive deep satisfaction from really working hard, no matter what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. mm. What was the pivotal moment then of you like, you know, thinking, okay, I'm better than this, I'm going to move on. Because that takes a lot of courage, you know, because you never know what's going to happen next. And that steady paycheck is just, it, yes. ooh, it's a chain sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so how were you able to transi transition through that and as best way possible to then pick up different leadership styles as well and then um, basically teach them? Yeah, um, I think back to this African proverb that that I that I refer to at least a couple of times a year, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so I think I reached the the end of what I was capable of as an individual. And I realized that if I wanted all of these dreams, whatever they were, whether it was building the podcast, whether it was starting a creative agency, whether it was building uh, skills camp, joining Student Life Network, all of these things required me to be a team player. And I think I had to kind of resist the way I had been raised. So going back to your question, Jesse, about like what my upbringing, what my parents' upbringing of me, uh, how the, how does that, that affected the way that I work? I think I was bred to be very much a lone wolf. And mm -hmm. I believed in the adage of if you want something done right, do it yourself. But I realized that that had counter, that, that had diminishing returns. Uh, and you can only do that up until a certain extent. And so um, I had to learn through force to be a collaborative uh, uh, team player. I had to learn how to be a good follower, a good team member, a good leader, a good manager. It just happened through the process of experimentation. It's, have, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you have any siblings or did you grow up alone? Like an only child? I do have a sibling. I have a very hyper-competitive younger sister. <laughs> who's, uh, <laughs> she, she has downloaded my blueprints. She has learned all of the mistakes that I have made and she's improved <laughs> upon them significantly. She's the perfect child. So she learned from your mistakes. Yep. You just let the, oh, yeah. let the you know, Come leader, on, true leader. Whitney there Houston, I learned from the best. I learned <laughs> yeah. from you. Yeah, it's funny you said That'll lone. Turn, yeah. It's funny you said lone wolf because I I watched your your TED talk and then I just started like going online and just you know looking at different leadership things and one thing that popped up was wolves and. Mm. It's interesting because you also talk about, you know, build, if you want to build a ship, don't don't assign tasks. Instead, teach them to long for the sea, you know. And so this thing, this thing that I learned about wolves, I never knew this. But when they're hunting in packs, it showed uh, how they travel. Mm -hmm. And the weaker ones stay in the front. Then you have the soldiers that kind of hang out in the middle. But the leader is the last one it's not leading he's the observing. pack he makes sure that everybody <laughs> is in line. yeah and that was just kind of like wow that's interesting animals can just easily pick this up and it's in their dna and it's in our dna and you know it's funny because you were talking about how millennials and people think that they're late we're lazy and all this stuff but actually we are the workers of tomorrow and i thought that was yeah genius to say that because wow. Technology we st is the wild, wild west. Yes. We still don't really know how to navigate through it and, you know, kind of corral it to the point that we can make it work for us. We're learning as we go, yes. you know. So I think that's where our brains are being trained. Um, 
And so I loved your TED talk because it made it it resonated with me because it made me feel normalized. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, I grew up with those parents and I do I I'm trying to teach them, but then they think they're teaching me and it's like, well, hold up, let's look at the skill sets here. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Everything's so different. I mean in, in all so forms, cool, yeah. right? Life, like, you know, the way you find love is so different as well. Um so I, I'm so happy that it resonated with both of you, right? Like oh, yeah. uh, and first of all, that that fact about the wolves is super cool. And I'm so glad that you shared that with me because I'm gonna just obsess over that now. No, I'm literally gonna, go I'm gonna be writing blog posts about fact. it. I'm gonna incorporate it into my next talk. Yes. Um that that is just like that's uh, nature's reminder that we can do this, that this is possible even with what we consider to be an apex predator. Yeah. But in, in in your case, Jesse, like the fact that you said this validated you, this made you feel normal, uh, that makes me feel very happy because I thought when I delivered this TED Talk, I delivered it, I think, in 2015 or 2016, mm. that this was just going to do what it needed to do at that particular time and that hopefully the dialogue would spread and that people Too would understand. Too advanced at that time. <laughs> Too advanced. Perhaps, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I feel like what's happening now, like the video was charting, it was doing well, but something happened in the last two years where where just that hockey like stick curve began. And now it's on its path to, like, I think by the end of the year, it's going to cross a million views, which is wow. just bizarre to me. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know whether I should be happy about that or distressed about it. I want to be happy because it's like, oh, yeah, well, more people are seeing this. That's the point of us doing because it's. That's it's the point of us doing this, you know, right. and shout out to Bailey because her video just passed a million views. Right? Hey. Yes. <laughs> but that's the point of these, you know, again, I, TED Talks, I was just actually talking to my dad. He had never heard of TED Talks. He and my mom knows them. She watches them, mm. and so two people in the same household, you know, it, it, they didn't know TED Talks is something that my dad would be obsessed with. You right. know, so he yeah. just got into them. I just got into them recently, and you know, I think there was this stigma with them about the TED Talks. About TED Talks, okay. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you know that's the point of this is we want to break that barrier. We want to really kind of Being reach a, out to yeah. millennials because. This is content that they can digest. Yes, uh, and be, and people want to get into the conversation, just as you had said, Jesse, earlier on. It's like TED Talks are great, and it's really great to be able to watch you on stage giving your talk, but then being able to connect with you on a yes. different level and having like dissecting who you are and, and what brought you to this point. of Because people do question, how do you make a TED Talk? How do you get to that mm-hmm. level? And what inspires you to do it as well? Um, so actually I do want to get into that question. How did you, how did you get into it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, 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 and just before I get into that, like shout out to you for, for recognizing that this is something that needed to happen for creating a space where you could take these hot topics and you could give them a new life and you could introduce them to your new audience. I mean, and, and I think it's really great that you have this community of the teddies that are probably (laughs) reacting and interacting with you and feeding you ideas into as, as to what they want to see next. So I'm I'm a fan and I (laughs) can't wait to see like whatever subsequent deep dives happen for any TED Talks because you're just taking that idea worth spreading and you're doing exactly what the idea needs to do, which is to reach new people. Yes. But to how I got about to doing my TED Talk, um, I I was, believe it or not, like five years ago, I was very shy, very introverted. I still am very shy, still am very introverted. But the thought of even doing a public talk, the thought of even standing in front of a group of like five of my colleagues and telling them about what I did for the day would have induced would have been like I would have thrown up for sure um so what happened is I was heads down I was just working really hard and diligently on building a team on building programs on building systems on really just creating 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 and documenting my process as I went along the one thing that was really cool though was that 
my natural communication happened on social media. It happened through blogging. It happened through writing white papers and reports and tweeting and posting on Instagram. And what was really amazing is I was able to do that at a time where people were starting to notice. And I think uh, organically, uh, some organizers of the TEDx Ryerson U conference, which is where I first spoke, and then TEDx UTSC. So I've worked in the education system yes. for the for for, for the, I'd say the, the good part of over ten years now. Uh, they took notice and they said, "Hey Hamza, like we we like what you're doing. We like what you're talking about. Would you like to take those ideas and now turn them into this new thing, this TED Talk format?" And at the time, I was taken aback because. The, the format itself was so constraining. It was you have 15 minutes on stage and you have to tell this really compelling story and you have to infuse this big idea into it. Oh, here's your nine and, to five uh, box again. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was it was nerve wracking. It was exhilarating. It was intense. Uh, but I knew that this was something special because you can only reach so many people through your tweets, through your mm -hmm. posts, yes. through your blogs. There's something really special about the TED format and that it's universal. It's you standing up on stage. It's just you. It's the audience. Um, you have their captive attention for as long as you do. And I'm a big believer in the power of constraints to bring out the best work. And so mm -hmm. having to jam pack my idea into 15 minutes, I think I think. Uh, 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 molded the best version of that idea. There's no, there's no other way I could have communicated the things that you saw in that TED Talk, uh, other than being on the TED Talk stage. I mean, it was very real and authentic because, given your like background and nature of having to have managed a team or like somebody even older than you when you were 21, that's a very young age. So it sounds like you've been through a lot within that space to really know and and crack down like what is the difference between managing versus leading and. The reason why it spoke to me was because like I'm experiencing now where I'm I'm managing six different interns and I don't feel like I'm much older than them and I don't want to feel like I'm mm. like a higher or anything. And like it inspired me, like some of the things that you were saying as to how, you know, make it fit for them, you know, especially when they're student interns as well, like they have such different um, uh, schedules and stuff like that. So you got to kind of be on top of that, but make sure that they're able to deliver whatever they're yeah. able to deliver without having to like, overdo it in a sense. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I just found like how you were able to break that narrative down based on your experiences felt very real and authentic. So it was a very yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That, that and thank you for that. It's awesome that you get to manage six interns and you get to manage this growing team. I imagine. Yeah, and it's a growing, uh, it's a growing babies. <laughs> that, that's amazing. I mean, as, as the more teddies, the more more content you produce, the more success. It's a virtuous cycle. I love it. How? Um, we we now comprise, I think, seventy five percent of the workforce. Mm. Uh, yes. At least by the year twenty twenty five, I know that's going to be true. That seventy five percent of the global workforce is going to be comprised of people our age, and so it's inevitable that we're going to have to manage each other. We're going to have to yep. learn to lead each other. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to get over whatever hesitations we have about doing that because the reality is you will likely have somebody reporting to you that is just as old, if not older than you slightly. Um, but the point is that these are adults and they're perfectly capable of managing themselves. Right. What they need is they need their workflow and priorities to be managed and then they need themselves as individuals to be led. And I think that's the key difference. It's... Uh you know, you talked about being a part of the Canadian Armed Forces, and uh, that was before you getting this graphic design job. Now, there's 
there are things in my life that, you know, like I, I remember being in school and like, you know, you, you go through it and you're like, why am I even sitting here learning this? Or you aren't even acknowledging how you're being taught by certain teachers, okay. me personally. Um, and then years down the line, you're like, oh, crap. I see how this actually, like, I didn't get it back then, but I understand it now. Was there something being in the armed forces? Because obviously that happening prior to this graphic design, you still had that nine to five mentality and you still were trying to figure it out. Was there anything that kind of clicked that helped you being a part of that? Because there's a different type of leadership, you know, being a part of, you know, the government in that that way. So, yeah, I think what clicked for me, Jesse, was... um, realizing that my time in the armed forces that that and I'm not sure how it's being led now, but certainly while I was there, um, we were doing things the way they had always been done. And I think that was an effective model for the armed forces. When you think about when I think about who my peers were, who my fellow soldiers were, who my fellow colleagues were at the time, we kind of needed uh, the kick to the ass, uh, proverbial and sometimes literal, um, <laughs> because because we, for the most part, felt unmotivated. We were lazy. We were just a bunch of boys that had found ourselves in a really difficult situation, which we were transitioning. We were turning into uh, the people that we were going to become. And I think that what needed to happen was a sort of hard knock leadership. Looking back, it was leadership. But at the time, it felt like it was coming from a place of, as I mentioned, theory X, where the assumption was that we needed to be managed and pushed and forced. Um, so what that gave me, Jesse, what that gave me was an understanding years later when I started managing others, when I started leading other teams, anytime I felt like I was reverting back to the way that I was managed in the Canadian Armed Forces, that to me was a red flag. Mm. Anytime I found myself sort of barking orders, getting upset, getting riled up, resorting to uh, negative reinforcement, that sort of triggered feelings of what it felt like to be a private in the Canadian Armed Forces Um being led in a way that isn't conducive to managing millennials and Generation Z. Mm. So it gave me a, basically TLDR. It gave me a, a, a long list of what not to do as a leader of modern uh, modern workers. Mm. When you look at uh, going back kind of to Bailey's talk, how does someone like you disconnect? You know, you always talk about you were, you were talking about how I'm, I feel like I'm always connected to work and, you know, but if I want to watch movies all day or if I want to spend time doing this, how how have you done that? Because you got your hands in everything. Yeah, like you're empowering so many people across so many different platforms. But I do love and, and this is kind of related to your question, how you brought up Robert Owen's theory of eight hours for work, eight hours for recreation, mm-hmm. eight hours for rest. Do you actually abide to that, though? <laughs> Yeah, I I'm a big uh, I love my calendar. I I'm a Gmail user, uh, Google Suite user, so I use Google Calendar religiously. It's it's the thing that manages me, mm-hmm. and I believe that your calendar is a reflection of your priorities. I mean, it's a budget of love your time, quote, and budgets are reflections of priorities. And so I schedule everything obsessively, uh, so much so that I even schedule downtime. There are entire chunks in my calendar that are recurring that are dedicated to just me slowing down. And so over the course of working several different jobs and having different sort of career paths uh, and going through occupational burnout a few times, I learned the hard way that uh, if you don't take breaks, you're you're, you're going to be broken. So I've had to learn to respect my body. I've had to learn to respect my mind and understand that there is a high cost to being on all the time and being an overachiever. And it actually produces diminishing results. It's much better to be a high performer. Um, And so I have some hard rules. I have some non-negotiables in my life. 
life. There are things that I need to do every single day in order for me to function the way that I am. Like even right now, summoning the energy to be on this TED Talk, to be on this on the show with you, uh, there were a couple of rituals that I had to abide by. I had to make sure that I wasn't doing work before this. I was relaxing. I was catching a little bit of the Raptors versus Philly game. Um, you know, I was I, w- I was doing the right things to ensure that I could show up in the way uh, that the world needs me to show up. So you have rituals. You have rituals prior to commitments or, you know, things that you have to be involved in. Absolutely. Yeah. You talk about trust. You talk about 100% trust, assuming that my team is here to do good work. Mm. Did you always kind of carry that trust? Again, going back to my family's immigrant mindset, it was to give trust and then take away if that person is whatever. And, but most people, most, uh, what I've noticed, the most Americans born in generations, it's don't trust and slowly <laughs> yeah. build. Was that, was trust a hard thing for you or did you see, was it all your years working the nine to five and seeing this consistent, you know, routine put in the daily workforce, did that kind of just click with you? Like, no, you know what? I ain't going to listen to this. I'm going to shift over here and I'm just going to, I'm going to jump in and, and, and have that trust. Was that hard for you? That was very hard for me. And uh, I, I similarly began my career, began my life with uh, distrust being the default state. Um, but I realized very quickly that uh, when when you're in a work environment or any environment where the other person inherently distrusts you from the get-go, that sets up the relationship Toxic. for failure. I mean, yep. it can only go mm-hmm. uphill from there. But for the first onset, I mean, for the onset of that relationship, it just sets a really bad tone. Mm-hmm. And you start off on the wrong foot. I would amend sort of what I said in that TED Talk. I mean, I, I, I don't think... I start from a place of 100% trust and that I say, hey, you know what? Here are the keys. You can do this. You can rock. I mean, I, I don't need to have any conversation with you. No, there are definitely braces in place. Like all of my employees start with a nine to five schedule as a way to gauge um, what their baseline is and mm-hmm. if they can adhere to that. But very quickly, I start to release those training wheels. So the assumption is I go one, two, three month probation period where we're able to gauge and assess for whether or not you have the requisite skills to manage yourself. I think that's what I need to, what, what I would like to clarify. I've had to do that TED talk all over again. Mm. It's that there still has to be some sort of behavioral assessment period that takes place. But once those, once that behavioral assessment has been, has been cleared, the training wheels are off, you're free to rock. Um, you know, and then the hundred percent trust kicks in in that way. Yeah. Which, wait, that's so interesting you say that because with millennials, you know, you see a lot, a lot of them, their attention span is shorter and there are times where it's like, you know, the, in the regular workforce, it's usually six to nine months before, okay, you know, we've seen how you are, are here, but really you're right. I mean, within three months, if you don't get it, I mean... It's a proper pro- probation. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, because yeah. in Germany and UK, it's always a three-month probation. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Because um, I always thought nine months out here no, is like... No, I feel like by nine crazy. months, you kind of know whether you like to be in that <laughs> yeah. one space or not. I'm a little bit offended at this but, point. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious to know, actually, from your perspective, touching upon the, um, like, from what point you then feel like it's okay to let you go home and do the work. And do you suggest sort of how many days per week or, you know, because it's all kind of, especially startups and things, there's no rules. There's, it's like you can set your holidays, but of course, if you miss out way too much, then that's going to yeah. fall on you. So how do you know what's the right balance? And, and 
do you think that's tailored to the person and their position or like yeah how do, how do you that's a great question there's definitely no one size fits all rule so i managed a team in my last company in splash effect um where we had millennials across the board all of our employees were millennials and i had one employee who insisted on being in the office so she wanted to work out of the office nine to five it was important for her to have that structure to have that rigid schedule We totally respected that. We had another employee on the same team that chose to work nocturnal hours. As long as there was like a couple of hours of overlap, his work didn't require him to have too much overlap with the team. But we had no problem either way. The thing that managers need to do, the thing that leaders need to do is ask themselves whenever they're making a decision, if they're making it with outcomes or outputs in mind. Mm. And if they're making it with outputs in mind, They're focusing on the wrong things. They're focusing mm -hmm. on optics. They're focusing on things that they think they need to do based on what they've seen or what they've experienced in the past. When an organization, when leaders focus on outputs, that becomes very clarifying. Um, you, you start making the right decisions. I mean, if this person is only responsible, for example, in the example that I gave you of the second employee who worked nocturnal hours, mm -hmm. this employee's deliverables were to produce one to two RFPs a week. Respond to one to two RFPs per week. It was solitary work. It required very little overlap time with anyone else. For me to insist that this person worked in the office from nine to five every single day made no sense mm -hmm. because that was me focusing on the uh, that would have been me focusing on the output. That would have been me focusing on the appearance of doing work. That would have me that would have been me focusing on having him be in the office to justify the office space, which is not a good reason to keep anyone in an office. Talking about office space, I'm seeing more and more companies that are not no longer having office spaces and actually doing work at workspaces yeah. such as WeWorks or places like that where they're just renting a desk or you know for them or there's more of like an, uh, an, a sensory environment yeah, like plants and, and, and waterfalls like exactly yeah. or like in a coffee shop let's all get together and work there and instead of being in one place so what do you what are your thoughts on that how do you think I that's work more productive shift? out of that kind of I, yeah I, I need change yeah, yeah. I, Does that I speak volumes that that <laughs> Gen Y it, just needs space. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Everywhere and in, anywhere. In, in, in the final year of Splash Effect, we got rid of our office. We had this massive cavernous office. Um, and we were paying a ridiculous monthly fee for this. Mm -hmm. And this is when yeah. our team had reached a peak. We reached about 15 people, uh, full-time, part-time combination thereof. And I walked into the office one day and I was the only person there. And I thought to myself, well... This is weird. Why do we have this huge ass office and no one in it? Oh, of course, because the way that millennials work, the way that Gen Y and Gen Z chooses to work is they choose to work on their own schedule. They choose to work from home, work remotely, blend their work and life together. Yep. Yes. Um, I want to gaze so, into a waterfall as I'm doing my work. <laughs> Listen to the birds chirping <laughs> out there in the tropical falls. Yes. <laughs> This is it. And and I, I'm a firm believer in that. Like, if we have to be in the physical space, to, I mean, how many how many times has this happened? I'm sure there are teddies right now who are working at companies where they show up to work and they talk to their coworkers over Slack or Gchat or Skype oh, yeah. Yeah. and they don't say a single word out of their own mouths for the entirety of the day and every conversation that happened online could have easily happened on the on on a beach somewhere in their shorts there was no reason for them to be physically in the office hey, it yes. seems like a relic it seems like a remnant of a time gone by it seems like uh, this this is carrying on from a paradigm that was born from a time where we needed to manage factory workers i mean this is where the management theories began to originate from and for some reason we still kept them in the age where we have slack and we have 
um, Skype, and we have all sorts of technologies that allow us to communicate and connect asynchronously. Yeah. I know, I know we got to wrap, but I do want to get this before we get into our poll. As culture shifts and culture changes, you know, you one thing that for me also was, you know, brought such a re- relatability factor to this was you talking about Jay Z. I am a <laughs> yeah. DJ. I love that. <laughs> I'm a DJ. I yeah. love hip hop. You know, DJ Jesse J. Yep. <laughs> and you know, you look at somebody like Jay Z, and when he first started rappers were looked down upon and you know he took that and lemons not, not a beyonce <laughs> reference lemons into yeah. lemonade um hey, and you on. know i love that you tapped into him being a leader who leads leaders you know mm-hmm. and when you look at the quality of people that jay-z has produced or helped you know build there is a line of uh, iconicness almost yeah, and- yes and with today who's somebody because but jay-z comes from a, an older generation too as well you know he just kind of he's he's catching the wave with uh, the millennials and he's doing a great job of riding it but who's somebody you see coming up now that um is you know really taking that mindset and applying it is there anyone in music that you you kind of look at now other than jay-z yeah, I think what's been really cool to see is Drake's evolution as a leader. I mean, he is a self-proclaimed disciple of Jay-Z. What was that line he said? I never I, I never cried when Pac died, but I'll probably do when Hove does. Yep. Um so he's like he he communicates a reverence for Jay-Z in all of his interviews, all of his all of his all throughout his music. Any any opportunity he gets to celebrate the fact that Jay-Z is somebody who he's modeling his career after, um he takes that opportunity. And so it's been really cool to see Drake navigate a couple of different moves in his life, whether that was falling out with the weekend, for example, whether that was sort of having some 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 relationship sour with Meek Mill as another example. But then look to what Jay Z is doing as somebody who's extending the runway of what's possible for Drake and other moguls and mavens in hip hop. And it's been really cool to see Drake. Uh, sort of enter into a new stage of maturity and make the sort of moves that are conducive to hip hop staying together and moving further. Um, as a collective. And again, going back to that African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. And so it's been really cool to see Drake bury the hatchet with all of his former enemies um, to reconcile different situations, whether that was falling out with his record label, whether that was business deals that went south and really take a very, um, you know, there's no other way to describe it than him being a leader, him being the leader of OVO, him being the leader of uh, of a movement in hip hop, of, of youth in Toronto, so on and so forth. So that's been really cool to see. Nikki, your turn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Shots fired. I wanted to ask you, actually, Amza, what, who is actually your ultimate leader? And then secondly, what wow. is your ultimate favorite inspirational quote? Because you're full of them. Yeah. But I want to know, like, your top ones. My goodness. Um, wow. Uh, First wow, up, wow, your wow. ultimate leader. Question. Someone that has really inspired you throughout. I have been inspired by a former mentor of mine. There's so many that, that I could name, and I think I'd be doing all of them a disservice if I only picked one. But I, I hate when people say, uh, I'm not going to name any. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the first one that comes to mind. I'm going to pick John Austin, Dr. John Austin, who was my boss and leader when I was working at Ryerson a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, seeing what he did and taking this team that was very siloed and disparate and then bringing them together with shared values and uh, a clear mission, vision, principles, and purpose. Uh, that to me was incredible to see him to see him do that. Um, 
really gave myself and a lot of other young leaders the blueprints to then go ahead and build our own respective teams, no matter where we found ourselves in life. So shout out to Dr. John Austin, who's now over at Sanford. So he's in, he's, he's very close Amazing. to where y'all are at. Um, Stanford, sorry. Yeah. Stanford or Sanford? Stanford. 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 Yeah. Now I want you Stanford. to stay on okay, the I go. want you to stay on the line because as we wrap out, I want to get into our Twitter poll. So yes. Yasmin Sure. Well, we asked the question based off of your talk, can millennials be managed? One hundred percent you said yeah. 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 They did. So yeah. Millennials can at least be we managed. All, at least we all know and agree <laughs> but, on that. But, but millennials did yeah. answer the question. That's true. <laughs> Like, I should have asked my parents what they thought. What yeah. do your parents think? You know, right. oh, what, a, what a great opportunity right? to miss. My you parents, know, your parents are just are here somewhere. Uh, well, Hamza, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and please let's really try on working you, getting yes. you in studio for to talk about your burnout talk because I mean, you want to. There's so much more I want to dive into. Yeah, but I was like, okay, oh, hey, we got to save something <laughs> for the other one too. Yes, well, you definitely need to come in when possible. So we'll arrange that. And um, before you go, let us know what is your handle and also what current upcoming projects are you working on that are exciting that we can look out for? 100%. I will absolutely be there. In fact, probably Bailey will join me as well. So we could do a double header. Um, Let's make this happen. Big fans of the show. And thank you for this opportunity. My handles, uh, Teddy's, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, uh, you can follow me at Hamza K on Instagram, at Hamza K on Twitter. Um, I'm... Uh, slash Hamzakan author on Facebook, um, and I think I think those are the three places where I would want to be connected with. Uh, I'm a I'm a bit boring on LinkedIn, so if you find me on LinkedIn, you want to connect over there as well. I post a couple of blogs here and there, but I think Instagram and Twitter is where the action's at. Um, some exciting things I've got going on, uh, as you mentioned in the intro, which I thought was a very generous intro. So thank you for that. Um, I've hey, got my Skillshare course <laughs> called. Yeah, thank you. My Skillshare course is called Do Things, Tell People, The Power of Personal Branding. So I'd encourage people to go check that out. You get two months of free Skillshare premium access on the house. So so you can go ahead and take that course for free. I've also got my book, The Burnout Gamble. Uh, it's available on Amazon and uh, it's available in Indigo and some some retail stores. I'm working on getting it into Barnes and Nobles and, 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 and other stores as well. Um and then uh, check out Student Life Network. That is the place where I work right now as a managing director. We're building something truly special. We're trying to build a total resource hub, a complete resource hub aimed at helping students transition from high school through post-secondary all the way to their dream jobs. Um, and it's very fulfilling work. And it's the the synthesis of all the different things happening in my life. Yes. Well, Amen. Keep it up. <laughs> keep yeah. It up. Thank you so much. That's incredible. Oh, my God. Incredible Thank you. Job. The pleasure is all mine. Yes. Hey. All right, guys. Stop managing start leading if you haven't seen the ted talk and this just inspired you make sure you guys head on over to youtube and check that out um you know I mean, let's, also, get, let's get it to a million views yeah and 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 watch the um the burnout gamble as well so you're prepared that's a really great all yes, right and exactly. we're gonna read the book Prepare so yourself. that we're super prepared for when you come in okay uh yasmin where can everyone follow you at yasmin tanras Boom, you guys you, can hit us up at Talking Ted Talks across all social media platforms. Me at DJ yeah. Jesse J. And leave us a comment. Let us know what Ted Talks you guys want to talk about. We yes. love and we appreciate you guys. The support is amazing. Till next week, Let's same see. time, same place. Yeah. Peace. <laughs> Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later.
<laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.